Good morning. It is so great to see you here today. My name is Saul Flores and I serve our Puente del Pueblo Ministries. Each year, our Elder Nominating Committee asks church members and attendees to submit nominations for consideration as elder candidates. Today, you can pick up an elder nomination sheet to review the qualification for elders to get more details on the process and how to submit a nomination. If you're online, you can sign up for the weekly newsletter at wheatonbible.org newsletter to get the details this week. Thank you for your help in this important part of our church leadership. Tonight, we're having a West Chicago Campus Prayer Night. You're invited to join us as we thank God for all He's been doing in our lives and pray for our ministries, leaders, and volunteers as we enter our new ministry season. It takes place tonight at 6 p.m. in the East Worship Center. We'll see you there. Every year, the campuses of Wheaton Bible Church partner to create the Puente del Pueblo Summer Program. At Puente Summer Program, peer-to-peer -peer relationship, academics, life skills, and faith development have all been key points of learning for our students. This year, the theme was With Me in Paradise, taken from Luke 23, 43, where Jesus told the man next to him on the cross, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Throughout this summer, we wanted to communicate to our students that Jesus promises not only the idea of a new and better world, but more importantly, His presence with us. Take a listen to what one of our interns had to say about serving with us this summer. God's presence is truly with Puente del Pueblo. I have seen myself grow both personally and professionally and have seen astounding academic, emotional, and spiritual growth in the lives of those we minister to. I have never seen heaven touch down in the same way that it touches down here. From the incredible team of teachers and leaders who will encourage you and uplift you, to the students who will touch your heart just as much, if not more than you touch theirs, Puente is truly a slice of paradise. I want to say thank you to all of our volunteers at Puente del Pueblo. Through all your generosity, ministries like this can thrive and support our local community. A great way you can give is by serving this school year with one of our Puente del Pueblo after-school programs. If you would like more information, you can visit our table in the atrium or go to wheatonbible.org volunteer. Thank you for being a partner in ministry and for spending part of your week with us today. We hope you have an amazing week. Well, good morning. Uh, to welcome to our weekly gathering of the family of God. We are here today to be encouraged and strengthened by each other's presence and our smiles and our songs and our words, both in the service and as we leave. So it's great to be here with you today. Today we're talking in our whole service about enjoying who God is. And so we start with a question for everyone. Uh, what is a characteristic of God that you are rejoicing in this morning? Who is, who is he and what are you extra thankful for for him this morning? So lift up your voice. His kindness. His grace, his mercy, his faithfulness and his love, his patience. Say again. Forgiveness. And his wisdom, Alice. And his sovereignty. And that he's all powerful. We could go on the whole day. Maybe we should sometime. 
Well, that's great. We can rejoice. As we go through this first worship set, I encourage you to think about your favorite part of God today or all these things that we've said so that as we sing, rejoice the Lord is King and come thou fount, that we're thanking him for who he is. Let's stand together and sing.
I love that song by Dr. Tony Payne uh, because it reminds us that throwing ourselves at God's mercy, we often think that repentance is something that we should be sad about and we are somber when we sin, but we can celebrate, we can throw ourselves at his mercy. I think of my son throwing himself onto the couch as he runs, take a running leap and jump and throws himself on the couch. The same that we can take a running leap. We got God, we need you, I need you, and we throw ourselves at him. We can celebrate that he is waiting 
waiting for us, just ready to forgive, to give us new life and new hope. And I think sometimes we just don't want to do that, but there's such forgiveness. I did that in a new way this week in my own personal time, and I experienced, I started, I took a walk after. I took so, I felt so free, and I was like, God, thank you so much for the gift of repentance. And so we're going to take some time now to silently reflect on our hearts and take some time to repent our, on our own. And then we'll celebrate that as a church body. So it takes a few moments to pray and see where God might lead you in your heart. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with the power of the Holy Spirit. May it be so for all believers here at Wheaton Bible Church and around the world today. Amen? Let's stand.
Good morning, Familia. I wanted to share with you something that we have been wrestling with as the leadership of the church. As you know, uh, this last year has been full of changes and unexpected turns. And as leaders of the church, we have sought the Lord's guidance and try to pay attention to what's happening in our context, to listen to the congregation and to recognize the times uh, and to uh, embrace our new normal. A few weeks ago, we shared with you that our desire was to go back to the way things were pre-COVID. Traditional service in the East, contemporary service in the West, and our service times the way they were before. But after much prayer and conversations with the leaders and the staff of the church, and after reading some of the responses we got from many of you in the survey uh, we did a few months ago, we understand that what is best for a church at this time, and what is best for adults and children that are part of our congregation, is for us to continue doing what we have been doing so far with a minor change. We will keep our traditional service in the West Worship at 8.30 a.m. We will keep our contemporary service in the West Worship at 10.30 a.m. And we will keep our Spanish service in the West Worship at 12.15 p.m. But this may change to 12.30 p.m. in the near future. Now, why do all of this? Well, here's a few reasons. Number one, we really want to continue to provide for you the best worship experience we can give you. Number two, we want to have plenty of time between services to be able to connect with the congregation. That is something that is extremely important to me and I know that it is, it is also important to the staff. Number three, we understand that at this moment it is better for us to do fewer things but to do them well versus more things but not as well. And number four, we really want to take the extra time to make sure that all of our ministries have what they need in order for us to love you and serve you well. I wanna thank you for praying for us. I wanna thank you for praying with us. I wanna thank you for being part of the church. We love you. That guy is a great guy, you know that, right? Man, I love him. And I am so excited for Hannibal as he leads Wheaton Bible Church into the future, but he's really going to need you to pray for him. He's really going to need you to encourage him. And this is a special moment in our culture. We can't seem to get rid of the pandemic and its variants. And so that has all sorts of implications for us. So we are celebrating all that God is doing here at Wheaton Bible Church, and I want you to wrap your arms around Hannibal and get behind him and pray for him as he leads us into the future God has for us in this unsettled and difficult time. Amen? Now would you bow with me and let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning because you are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. Uh, you sit above the heavens. And you watch and you see everything. You are the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. You do not grow weary or tired as Isaiah says. 
your understanding no one can fathom. And the promise of the gospel is that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Oh God, would you renew our strength as we look to you. Father, today we would be remiss if we did not pray for the country of Afghanistan. For the horror and the difficulty of what is going on there now and what might come down in the near future, not to mention the long-term future. And we pray, God, that you would thwart radical Islam. That you would raise up people to stand against it, even in Afghanistan, not to mention around the world. We pray for tribal leaders who are not a part of this Taliban or ISIS and pray that you would protect them. We pray for the church of Jesus Christ, although it's small in Afghanistan and the number of believers is small. We pray that you would protect them. We mourn the murder of believers that have taken place over these last weeks. We pray for our government. We pray for governments in the West and pray that you would give our leaders wisdom and discernment knowing how to respond to this crisis. God, give us the grace as the church of Jesus Christ around the world to know how we can step in, how we can minister, how we can serve, how we can lay down our lives as our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan have done and are doing. Father, I also this morning want to pray that you will thwart this hurricane uh, that uh, experts are saying could be one of the largest in uh, over a century. And we pray, God, that when that hurricane hits uh, Louisiana today that that speed of it would drop and deaccelerate, and you would protect people in the southern part of the United States. We thank God of what is going on with COVID, the Delta variant, the uncertainty in our society, the decisions leaders have to make, and we pray for wisdom. And we pray, God, that this variant and other potential variants would dissipate, would go away, and you would enable us to face into this without fear, without discouragement, but with gentleness and patience and love. I pray for my brothers and sisters here at Wheaton Bible Church this morning and ask that you would bless them. You would fill them with the Holy Spirit, that Jesus would be precious to them. We pray for Hannibal and ask that you would guide him, strengthen him, and give him wisdom. And we thank you this morning that we can look into your word because you have given it to us to tell us about you. And all God's people said, amen. Now, three weeks ago, I began a four-week series, a concluding series as I wrap up my 27 years of ministry here with you at Wheaton Bible Church, 27 wonderful years. And I want you guys to know I love you. I believe in you. 
And so these four messages are four of my deepest wishes for you as you move into the future and walk with your Savior. So three weeks ago, I began by saying, I wish for you confidence in the character of God. And we looked at Joseph, the Old Testament Joseph, in the book of Genesis and saw his remarkable confidence. I mean, think about this, in the holiness of God, the power of God, and the absolute sovereignty of God. A remarkable man, remarkable confidence. I wish that for you. And today, my second wish for you is that you would experience ongoing joy in the glory of God. And what I'm about to say about God's glory is going to surprise you. And you may have never connected some of these dots, and I, by the Holy Spirit, hope to help you with that this morning. And so today, we're going to move from the first book of the Bible into the second book of the Bible, and we're going to look at the book of Exodus. This way, with 66 books in the Bible, I've got about 64 more weeks. But first, I want to tell you a story. Earlier this week, I was in Southern California. I was speaking on behalf of Greater Europe Mission at a, a fairly large gathering, a dinner gathering of Christian businessmen and Christian businesswomen. And I was one of five presenters. And they gave me about 18 minutes or so. We had a video or two to show, and I had the opportunity to speak. And then I was finished, and the speaker after me was Jim Daly, the president of Focus on the Family, and they gave him about three times the amount of time they gave me. But Jim Daly is a fabulous guy. What he had to say was fabulous. And one quick story that he told us that I will never forget. He talked about a couple of years ago being in the office of one of our United States Supreme Court justices. And they were having a conversation about poverty and legislation here in the United States. And Jim Daly told that particular justice uh, that afternoon that we at Focus on the Family uh, approach poverty a little differently because research reveals when there is one father and one mother in a home, children in the United States, uh, only 8% of those children will ever experience poverty. But when there's a divorce, that number shoots up to about 30%, not quite 30%. So Jim Daly told uh, the Supreme Court Justice, therefore, our mission at Focus on the Family is to do everything we can relative to poverty, relative to crime, well, relative to education of achievement to strengthen the family. And that brilliant Supreme Court Justice, Justice Kennedy, leaned back, according to Jim Daly, and said this. I never thought about it that way. And then Jim Daly turned to us, the audience, and he said, friends, you do not need to have a perfect marriage. I don't have a perfect marriage. I lead focus on the family. None of you have a perfect marriage. We're sinful, fallen people. 
but you need to stick together. And you need to do everything you can to have a good marriage. And I just want to say personally, as the product of a divorced home, an alcoholic father, I could not agree more. And now, after decades of ministry among you and even before that, I am absolutely convinced that the reason we struggle and bicker in our marriages, uh, the reason we fail to extend compassion and care to the people around us, uh, the reason we are so frequently angry and critical, and boy, have we as evangelicals been critical over the last year and a half during this time of COVID. And the reason for all this relational strife is because at an experiential level, we don't enjoy the heart of God. You know, the reason many of our children grow up and leave the faith, many but not all, the reason so many of them uh, leave the faith isn't because they're rejecting the gospel, it's because they've never seen the gospel lived out in their home. In, in gentleness and in tenderness. So today, what I want to do in the book of Exodus is look at the, this is not overstatement, most central, most important description of the heart of God in the Old Testament. And it's found in Exodus 34. And we're going to pick it up in verse 1. So would you turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 34. And would you stand with me out of respect for God's word as I read. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. And I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Uh-oh. Now this is the second time uh, Moses will write down the Ten Commandments on two stone tablets. Uh, because two chapters earlier, in chapter 32, Moses broke the first two tablets in righteous anger. Why? Because he came, as he came down after being with God and receiving the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, what did he see with Israel? Israel had in that moment totally abandoned God and begun to worship a golden calf that his brother Aaron had built. Now let's pick it up in verse 4. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai again early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. Can you imagine? And proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Hebrew is Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh the compassionate and gracious God. Let that soak in. Slow to anger, abounding, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. 
He punishes the children and their children for the sin of parents to the third and fourth generation. That is God's word, and you may be seated. Now, you know what commentators tell us? Commentators tell us this is the high point of biblical revelation in the Old Testament because of what God says about himself here in verses 6 and 7. These two verses reveal the heart of God. And what a heart! It's why these two verses or portions of these verses are repeated over and over throughout the Old Testament. We just finished a series on Jonah. Uh, portions of these two verses, 6 and 7, uh, are quoted by Jonah in Jonah chapter 4. But for you to appreciate this, I want to back up and give you a sense of the preceding context because what's going on here is just remarkable. Now Moses is frustrated. Moses is discouraged. His people have just lapsed into idol worship, one of the lowest of low points in Israel's history. Moses is on the mountain, and they're worshiping a golden calf. And so Moses is frustrated. He's frustrated with his classmates. He's frustrated with his co-workers. He is frustrated with his neighbors. He is frustrated with his family. He is frustrated with his country. Now, I don't know what you do when you're frustrated. I don't know how you handle your discouragement. But I want you to see what Moses asks of God in his dark moment. Lord, show me your glory. Do you get it, God? Uh, the oh, oh, circumstances that I'm experiencing, the, the people you have chosen for me to lead are overwhelming me. God, I can't handle this horizontally. I need a heavy dose of you in the vertical. And Moses asks, <clears throat> uh, arguably one of the most profound prayers in the Old Testament, show me your glory. Now what is God's glory? Why do I say to you, I wish for you the ongoing experience of the joy of God's glory? Well, look at what God says in the next verse. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will pro proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Now, glory here is not what we think of. Now, glory is a multifaceted diamond in the Bible, but here, uh, God is speaking a little more narrowly. And what I want you to notice is Moses asked for God's glory and God says, sure, I'm going to show you my goodness. What? <clears throat> Isn't God's glory his vastness? His majesty? His distance? His greatness? Not here. Not in our passage. 
This is so very uh, surprising because God's glory is his goodness. And God mentions uh, to Moses or says to Moses, I will proclaim my name. And, and name is a figure of speech uh, for who God is. His nature, his heart. So what we have here is God's goodness and God's name are two sides of the same coin. Now there's a lot more to this, but let me continue and let's jump to verse 21. Then the Lord said, he's still speaking to Moses, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory, so this is about God's glory, passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face, no way. No way, Moses. My face must not be seen. So God is about to reveal his glory to Moses. And that happens in our verses in chapter 34. So let me just go back. Because now you have the context. And look again at verse 5. Then the Lord came down. Now he's revealing his glory to Moses in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name Yahweh. And what does he say? The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And he continues on through verse 7. Do you see what is happening? In revealing God's glory, God doesn't so much give Moses something to see. He gives him words to explain who he is. This is why the words of the Bible are so important. In this amazing moment, it's, God doesn't put on a show. He gives, us, he gives Moses specific words that describe his heart. Moses, I am compassionate and gracious. I am patient. I am slow to anger. I am abounding in love and faithfulness and on, on, and on. Now, like Moses, I want you to pray for the experience of God's glory. I want, we should all be praying that God would reveal his glory. But here, God defines his glory as his mercy. We've been singing about God's mercy this morning. So when I say to you in light of this passage, I wish for you with everything in me that you might have an ongoing, continuous, never-ending experience of the joy of God's glory. I'm talking about the never-ending, joyful experience of living in light of God's mercy. It's Exodus 33 and 34. 
that you might know at the core of your being that God is compassionate and gracious to me and I see it here, I see it there, I see it in creation. Uh, I see it in the way God provides food and, and, and drink for me. I, I see it all around me and you're alive in the wonder and the splendor of God's mercy. Shame on us for reducing God's glory to his distance, his unapproachability. It's just the opposite of what God says about himself near the very beginning of the Bible. And I frankly think we have missed this. Look at how one author puts it. When we speak of God's glory, we are speaking of who God is. Well, what makes God God? Our deepest instincts expect him to be thundering, gavel swinging, judgment relishing. We expect the bent of God's heart to be retribution to our waywardness. And then Exodus 34 taps us on the shoulder and stops us in our tracks. The bent of God's heart is mercy. His glory is his goodness. His glory is his lowliness. Great is the glory of the Lord, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. God's glory is God's mercy. And as I wind up my ministry here, I long for you to be alive in the mercy and the wonder and the love and the compassion and the forgiveness of God. Because when you know God's mercy existentially, you are experiencing the glory of God. Isn't that cool? Now, uh, let me take this a step further. What specifically is the mercy of God here? Well, we have all these descriptors in verses 6 and 7. And I, unfortunately, only have the time uh, to deal with four of them. And I'm going to do it fairly uh, briefly. So the first is God's com God is compassionate and gracious. It's what he tells us in verse 6. Now, God's compassion is often frequently translated God's mercy. Compassion and mercy refer to God's pity to those who are distressed. And that would be any and every human that has ever lived. God's grace, as you may know, is God's unmerited, undeserved favor. And the moment you and I come to Jesus Christ and trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, we experience God's compassion and grace, which is infinite, which is deeper than the deepest pit, and which is unending. And you and I, if you are a believer in Christ, you are alive in God's overflowing compassion and grace. And I want you to know these are the first two words out of God's mouth. God doesn't say, I'm demanding and harsh. He doesn't say, I'm disappointed and, and angry. He doesn't say, I'm indifferent and uncaring. He says, I am compassionate and gracious. Friends, this is the Old Testament. God is not abandoning his people in Afghanistan even as they face death. 
He will never abandon you even as you face your death. Uh, on um, Tuesday night of this week, and when I was in California and I was there a couple of days, I sat at, uh, we had a couple dinner meetings. I sat at a dinner meeting next, next to a delightful couple, uh, seemed to be about uh, my age, and they, they just seemed so normal and full of joy and, and contentment. And then they unpacked the tragedy of their story and I found their joy and their con contentment to be miraculous, only explained by the Holy Spirit. Uh, they told me that their 30-year-old son, Nicholas, had just in the last year or two had to move back home because he's sinking like a rock physically. And he's facing death. Apparently, it's a, a mix of Lyme's disease and all sorts of complications. They're not really sure. But young 30-year-old Nicholas can no longer drive. He has to be taken to his doctor's appointments. He can't watch TV. He can't listen to music because of sound issues. He can't eat normal food. It has to be very bland. And he is in continuous pain. And the medicines tend to whack them out so they're not taking and giving them a lot of medicine. And so now mom and dad in their late 60s are Nicholas's 24-7 caregivers. Now do you think for a second that they will abandon Nicholas because of the intensity of the situation? Uh, no. And in the same way, because God is compassionate and gracious, he's never going to uh, abandon you no matter how intense, how difficult, how dark, how much you've messed up in a particular situation. First two words out of his mouth, I am compassionate, and I am gracious. Do you believe that? Do you live like that? Now let's go on. God tells us next, he is slow to anger. That is, he is patient. In other words, God doesn't have his finger on a trigger. Pop, pop, pop. God doesn't come to the point where he terminates our, our, our lease. Uh, God will never get to the point where he said, you know, I've had it with you. I'm moving on to somebody that's more spiritual. It's just, uh, it's not going to happen. Now, I've said over the years, and now I'm going to speak personally, uh, that uh, being patient, being slow to anger is a weakness of mine in certain areas of my life. But since I'm about to retire, I can take it a step further. Na, 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 boo, boo. So, as you know, Rhonda and I are in a blended family, a step family. We've been married almost 14 years. We have seven adult children, all of them are married, and we have 11 grandchildren, and we expect another 100. <laughs> and it's crazy. Well, blended step families have a system problem. And that's because step families aren't the way it should be 
but it's the way it is in this fallen world. And the system problem is competing allegiances. So for example, is my allegiance to Rhonda? Is my allegiance to my kids? Theoretically, the answer is my allegiance is to Rhonda. But functionally, in the press of circumstances, sometimes that gets skewed. So not too long ago, Rhonda and I had a disagreement. It's what Christians call a fight. Oh, we don't fight. Yeah, you do. And Rhonda and I had actually a big fight. And it was all about stepfamily. And um, then... Um, and a day or two after, Rhonda said something to me I, I will never forget. She said, you know, Rob, your anger is so selective. You never get angry at anybody else but me. Oh, boy. And she was right, and I was wrong. And the reason I mention this is uh, to the extent I live in light and I continually press into my heart the heart of God, his goodness, his compassion, his grace, his patience with me. Oh God, you're patient with me. You know what happens and it happens repeatedly. It cycles through and I have better days and uh, not so good days. But it begins to melt my heart, shift my categories, change uh, 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 the weaknesses of my personality and it brings me to humility, it brings me to repentance and I will never ever give up in my battle to become increasingly slow to anger. Because my God is slow to anger. Third, we are told, now we're jumping to verse 7, if you're following in your Bibles, which you should be, um, that God is forgiving. But notice, it's not just forgiving of wickedness, it's forgiving of wickedness, rebellion, and sin. In other words, forgiveness is being emphasized here. And in other words, if you know Jesus Christ and have found, and you are a child of the living God and found forgiveness through the work, the life and the death of Jesus Christ on your behalf, there is nothing in your life, past, present, or future, that God will not forgive, no matter how deep, how dark, the secret. God forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Now hang with me for a moment because I want to make a pivot. And I want you to see something here. Are you aware that the Bible teaches uh, that those of us that are believers in God are not merely loved by God, but God delights in us? Look at this passage in Isaiah this is a remarkable passage. Note this passage. As a young man marries a young woman, can you think of the joy? So will your builder, that is God, marry you. He's talking about Jesus Christ being the bridegroom. The church is the bride. And as a bridegroom rejoices, get the picture, get the metaphor over his bride. So you, will your God rejoice over you. God doesn't merely love you. He rejoices over you. God delights in you. 
Do you know in a passage we miss in Luke chapter 7 and verse 21, I believe it is, Jesus promises heaven will be full of laughter. You will weep now, but soon you will laugh, Jesus says. Talking about the Beatitudes. And so I think, if God is rejoicing over me, how can I be so critical of my wife? How can you be so critical of your spouse? How can you be so nitpicky? So judgmental? God rejoices over us. Heaven is full of laughter. Why are we so morose? Why are we so bound up so tightly? Uh, so uh, uh, quick to, to bitterness. Now, do you see what this has to do with forgiveness? It has everything to do with forgiveness because the reason God can rejoice over you and he is rejoicing over you is because he has forgiven you. And the proof of divine forgiveness is God right now in heaven rejoicing over you. Church, let's lighten up. Let's enjoy the ride. Let's relax and enjoy our salvation. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to go on and I want you to see two contrasting statements here in verse 7. Uh, God says of himself, I, I maintain love to a thousand, and I put in here a thousand generations because that's how this is translated in, I believe, the Deuteronomy chapter 7. Maintaining love to a thousand generations, yet punishing sin to the third to the fourth generation. Now, the first statement uh, about love is a, a figure that tells us God's love is never-ending. As I said earlier, the lease will never uh, run out. Uh, the second statement tells us that God is not a softy. That he will punish unbelief. It does not mean that God is going to punish a granddaughter because her grandfather was in the mafia. What it does mean is there a link, there's a linkage, there's a seepage of sin from generation to generation, and God holds us all accountable. I mean, think of uh, atheism and family systems. Hey, we're, we don't believe in God. The children, we don't believe in God. The grandchildren, we don't believe in God. Or racism or materialism. God punishes that. We reap what we sow. So we have this contrast at that level. But that's not what I want you to, to, to focus on. I want you to see in this uh, the contrast. God's love is the norm. His judgment is the exception. The glory of God, I mean the mercy of God, is uh, the forgiveness of God. And eventually... What is being implied here, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God overwhelms and swallows up our sin, and sin has an end point. Love is eternal. So when I say to you, church, I wish for you the ongoing experience of God's glory, 
I mean the ongoing experience of being alive in God's mercy, God's forgiveness, God's patience, God's faithfulness, that it would be real to you, that it would bring you joy and give you peace regardless of what is happening around you. And that, friends, is Exodus 34 and the preceding chapter. Now, I want to talk as I wind up about what this means for relationships. I mean, think about it. The impatient anger of a parent. The cold unforgiveness of a spouse. The um, uh, mockery and put-downs of, uh, that characterize our schools and social media. The bickering among neighbors. The divisions in the body of Christ, which have been many over the last year and a half. I talked to, uh, uh, last week to a pastor of a large church in California, and he's had it up to here. He said, Rob, I have been so frustrated that last Sunday I had to come down on my people from the pulpit. The divisions in the body of Christ, uh, the uh, dishonesty that characterize uh, our, our culture are all the result of the reality that we don't share God's heart. We haven't ingested Exodus 34. And you know what the biggest casualty is? The biggest casualty is mercy. And we don't live in light of it, and we don't extend it. But to the extent uh, I can say to myself, Rob, your God is so kind to you. That will produce in me an ability to treat differences with generosity because that's what kindness does. It treats differences with generosity, not judgment. You know, Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, he tells this parable and he concludes by saying of this woman um, who has been so rich to him, because of the depth of her knowledge of her forgiveness. Uh, Jesus says to Simon, Simon, you've got to understand, he who has been forgiven little loves little. And the antithesis of this is those of you that realize how much you've been forgiven will love much. And I wonder, which is you? What do your relationships reveal? And I want you to understand, and now I'm back at verses 6 and 7 in Exodus 34, nowhere is, are these two verses more clearly revealed than in Jesus Christ. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7 point to Jesus. They are a, a, a picture of Jesus because we are told, and this is a verse we've been talking about as our staff, this is the only place in the Gospels Jesus mentions his heart. And what does he say? He says, I am gentle and humble in heart. There is not a political, for that matter, probably a corporate leader in the world that would begin by saying, hey, by the way, I'm gentle and humble in heart. But the only place Jesus describes his heart, he says, I'm gentle and lowly. Jesus is hitchhiking on uh, Exodus 34. He's saying, I'm the fulfillment of Exodus 34. Jesus is telling us here, I am the most understanding, approachable, humble person in the world. Come to me, come to me, come to me. And now let me wind this up. 
This is what Paul says in Colossians 3.12. Notice he begins with three descriptors of our identity as believers in Jesus Christ. First of all, we are chosen. We didn't choose God. God chose us. We are holy. And we aren't just loved. We are what? Dearly loved or beloved. And then he goes on. Paul gives us five descriptors. These are five commands of how, what are to govern our relationships, how we're to relate to one another. And the reality is, as with any command in the Bible, you and I, because of our sinful bent, aren't up to it. We can't do it. But this verse comes alive when you understand compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience are descriptors of Jesus, your Jesus. And to the extent when you come to a passage like this, you say, oh, wow, this is who Jesus is. This is how he treats me. This is how he treats me right now, every moment of my life. You will find a power to live out what Paul here is commanding you to. You know, I wish for you guys a life of joy. And that life of joy is found in the glory of God that in one of the most important passages in the Bible is defined as the mercy of God. And to the extent that is our reality, our experiential reality, we will find peace. To the extent it fills our soul, it will make us whole and it will change how we relate to each other. May God bless you guys. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. And if we're honest, we're often, often running on empty spiritually. And we need you to fill us. We need you to change us. We need you to work in our lives. And so, Father, here we have seen you perhaps as clearly as any place in the Old Testament. Would you bless us? Would you fill our lives, our hearts, with the wonder of your mercy that we might be merciful? Amen. Let's rejoice in our Redeemer as we sing this last song.
It's mercy. As you go from here, everything around you points to God's mercy. See it that way. Look at life as an ongoing experience, ongoing expressions of the infinite love and compassion of grace of Jesus Christ. As you leave, we have tables in the atrium for you to look at and to prayerfully consider different areas, sectors of our ministry where you can volunteer. As we move into the fall, we want to come together as a church, and I want to invite you uh, to get involved in one of the many ministries of Wheaton Bible Church. Right now, in the course of this pandemic, we really need you. So, Father, we come to you. And what can we say other than we praise you that you are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, uh, forgiving sin, blessing, gracing. And we honor you because nowhere do we more clearly see that than in your son who gave up his perfect life that we might find life. And all God's people said, amen. You guys have a great blessed day.